BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. It is payday for federal employees, but don't look for that paycheck. It ain't going to be there. Shutdown continues. Hello, everybody. Friday, end of the week here. Friday, January 11th. So good to see you today. Hello, hello, hello. And uh, welcome to the Bill Press Show. Continuing our coverage of the continuing shutdown of the federal government by Donald Trump. The Trump shutdown. Uh, he tried to get away from it yesterday by escaping to the Mexican border for a series of uh, phony briefings on the border, really just a photo op for him so he could stand there with his MAGA hat and say, what a national security crisis we have, uh, why the wall is the only way to um, end it, and, of course, denying that he ever said that Mexico was going to send him a check to pay for it. We will prove to you that that is not true. Uh, meanwhile, the House continues uh, to pass legislation to reopen the government, and Mitch McConnell in the Senate continues to say, we won't even discuss that, we won't debate it, we won't allow a vote on it. And you know why? Because he knows that if he did most Republicans would vote for them as vote for those bills as well. So much to talk about. Such a busy news day as it has been all week. News that you are going to want to comment on on Twitter. We give you that opportunity. We invite you to send your comments on Twitter. Look forward to hearing from you on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. So get ready to dive in. But first. This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, yes. the Academy Awards are coming up. They're about six weeks away. February 24th is when the telecast is going to happen on ABC. And, you know, there's been some controversy about the host because they announced 
comedian Kevin Hart was going to host, and then they found then some. Then he dropped out. They found some then, tweets, some problematic tweets. And, and then so Ellen said, out. no, you got to do it. We all thought he might change his mind. He did not change his mind. He is not going to do it. So we found out who the new host is going to be. The new host will be? Nobody. Nobody. That's right. Thank you. Uh, uh, no, seriously, really? Literally, it's going to be nobody. They oh are not God. going to have oh a host. No, multiple people who are putting on the award show spoke to Variety, and they said, we are actually going to not have a host. They have lined up several different A-list stars, uh, singers, and actors who are going to sort of help move the show along with different monologues and skits and things like that, but there will be no set host, which sounds like a totally groundbreaking thing, and it's been a long time since I've done something like this, but it has been done before. It was 30 years ago, 30 years ago, they did it without a host that time. It sounds like chaos to me. It was very, very, very bad when they did it before. Yeah. Very bad. But basically, they're admitting defeat. That's exactly what's happening. And look, you know, again, they've got six weeks before this happens. Get Wanda Sykes. He's sure, funny. absolutely. There are funny people out there. They're, I think what they're having, what the problem they're having now is they're having a hard time getting somebody who's an A-list star to sign on to do the Oscars on such short notice. Yeah, so now they're just right. going to say, "Screw it, we'll just well, we just won't have a host." Uh, you know, in 2018, isn't the Mooch available? <laughs> I'm sure. The, the uh, one clown, Scaramucci. You know, he's why not? He's a horror. He'd yeah, why it. not? He'll do it. <laughs> Uh, in 2018, one of the stories we talked about a lot was the Camp Fire in Northern California. It killed 86 people. Well, uh, they have finished looking at some numbers, and it turns out that was the single most expensive natural disaster worldwide last year. It was so costly, not in ter- not just in terms of loss of life, uh, but in terms of loss of uh, property and damage and stuff like that. It, the total cost was about $16.5 billion in damage that it caused in California last year. And Donald Trump, Donald Trump is going to punish California for it by not sending any money to help California with wildlife, wildfire protection. True story. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Donald. This is the Bill Press Show. Day 21 of the Trump shutdown and no end in sight. Hello, everybody. Here we go. This is the day for the first paychecks of 2019. Uh, They will not be handed out today. They will not be delivered today. And we see more and more stories of uh, federal employees uh, going to their credit card, if they've got any money left on their credit card, going to friends, going to family, Selling their possessions in order to make their pay their bills here at the uh, at this at the middle of the month here in January, uh, but Donald Trump does not care. That's pretty clear. And thousands and thousands of federal employees um, protesting in front of the White House yesterday. I saw them there at uh, my lunch hour. And uh, they were very, very impressive, and they were very, very angry. Uh, we're still looking for that one federal employee who allegedly told Donald Trump that he or she is happy, 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 happy not to get a paycheck if it'll help build the wall. Yeah, another big Trump lie. 
Great to see you today. We're here in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, booming out to you all the way across this great country of ours, coast to coast, online, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, billpressshow.com, which is also where you find our podcast and invite you to sign up, uh, beg you, not just to check out the podcast, but to sign up for the podcast so you're officially a member of the team. We're looking at you on Free Speech TV, and we're joining you on the radio. Remember what the radio is? Mm-hmm. That's at, without pictures, but you hear us as well. Uh, statewide on Indiana and Indiana Talks, and of course in Chicago and the greater Chicago area on the one and only WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Thanks so much for being with us. Got to tell you, to start out, um, I had a great time last night. Went down to the United States Capitol building, the uh, Longworth House uh, office building, to join the Progressive Caucus. They had a reception last night. And man, I got to tell you, I felt like I was at the uh, annual Bill Press Show party because um, half the people there were uh, our good friends, congressional reporters, you know, like Matt Fuller and uh, and Scott Wong and Ben Kamazar and uh, Eliza Peter... Eliza Collins. Eliza Collins, right. Um, uh, you name it. Uh, any of our congressional reporters that you see and hear on the show, uh, they were all there. And members of the Progressive Caucus, a great group of people. Uh, those of you who follow me on Twitter, and by the way, you should, right? At BP Show. At BP Show. Uh, saw some of the people I was hanging out with, but the uh, there were a lot of members there. The ones that I spoke with, just uh, and again... Just about all of these people have been uh, guests here on the show in studio. Uh, Mark Pocan, of course, from Wisconsin, and Pramila Jayapal. They're the two co-chairs of the uh, Progressive Caucus. They all say hello, by the way. Uh, Jan Schakowsky from uh, Chicago, a uh, great friend. Debbie Dingle from Michigan. Uh, Dr. Debbie, I don't know if she's been in the studio, but certainly she's been on the line with us. She's been on the phone. I don't think she's been in the Here's studio. one that uh, we haven't seen in a long time who came over to say hello. Shelly Pingree. From Maine. Oh, sure, yeah. She was head of Now. That's right. And was has been in studio with us as head of Now, and now she's a member of, of Congress. That's, that's I totally forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, we've got to right. get her back in. Absolutely. Uh, Ted Lou, of course, from uh, from uh, California, Earl, Earl Blumenauer, uh, Mr. Bicycle Man from uh, Port, Portland, <laughs> Portland, Oregon. Dan Kildee. He, had, he he was gonna he was a little late to the Progressive Caucus meeting because he was at the Pot Caucus meeting, right? Is that right? <laughs> he was actually uh, a little late because he was at a reception marking the 100 days since the assassination of uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Um, also, um, a new member that I met uh, that uh, definitely wants to come in from uh, New Jersey, Camden, New Jersey, Don Norcross. Very interesting guy. He was a labor leader, business manager for the IBEW, the Electrical Workers Union, uh, in New Jersey, and um, ran for Congress as a labor leader. We talked a lot about Iron Stash. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and there are actually, he said there are a handful of actual labor union members ran for Congress, who are, who are members of Congress. So uh, Don Norcross working on those issues. And then I had uh, just a little FaceTime and tweeted out a photo of me with AOC, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, who definitely wants to come in studio. Uh, she's working very hard on a lot of legislation, especially, especially uh, what she's calling the new, no, the Green New Deal, uh, to really 
move in the direction, uh, take care, uh, aware of climate change, responding to climate change, some new, uh, um, you know, uh, new new energy proposals uh, from her. So very very exciting uh, night last night, and they all say hello. And you would have been, you would have loved to have been there, been there with me. Meanwhile, the shutdown, yes, continues. House voting for two more measures yesterday uh, to keep different agencies running. And once again, Mitch McConnell uh, slammed the door and said, we're not even going to consider those. But as uh, we did mention yesterday, thanks to one of you who let us know, there was going to be this rally of federal employees in front of the White House yesterday. Uh, we hadn't heard anything about it, but boy, somebody, so, somehow the word got around uh, when I went downtown at uh, around noon yesterday, the, the H Street, which is, so you've got Pennsylvania Avenue at the White House, Lafayette Square, and the next street on the other side of Lafayette Square is H Street. And since Pennsylvania Avenue is closed, H Street is one of the busiest thoroughfares in downtown Washington. It was totally shut off yesterday because there were so many people spilling over from Pennsylvania Avenue all the way through Lafayette Square and uh, and into into H Street, and they were a uh, a very angry, rightfully so, group of federal employees. I just want to say really quickly because we we got tipped off to it by uh, our buddy Phil on yep. Twitter, who you yep. should all be following, by the way, uh, Philly Fan underscore ninety nine, Philly Fan underscore ninety nine, because he told us about it. He also went and uh, he's a photographer and he got a lot of pictures from oh, the cool. event. Cool, cool. Uh, so you know this was this did not get a lot of press coverage. No, by the way, I didn't see any press coverage, but it no. was. I'm telling you, this press saw it. It was <laughs> yeah, it was huge. There's some great pictures. He got some great pictures of the sign. Signs uh, that were there, the crowd that was there, which was yeah, way bigger than I expected, considering the lack of coverage that it got. Right. Uh, so shout out, Phil. Thanks for helping us out there. Yeah, thanks for helping us. We got a little sound from there. Uh, the uh, people there, uh, uh, right in front of the White House. Of course, they, Donald Trump was not there. Maybe that's why they changed his day from Wednesday to Thursday to go down the border because they didn't want him there when the people were protesting out front. Uh, but the clear, clear cry, maybe he heard it all the way in Texas. Shame on you, dude. Shame on you! Shame on you! Shame on you! And the same goes to Mitch McConnell. Shame on him! <laughs> Shame on Mitch McConnell for sure. Here's one federal employee, Daniel, who says he'd like to get in and get some, get some work done. Can't even get in the building. In the last 20 days, I've been shut out of my job, um, and uh, we, we have not been allowed to uh, do anything. I, I want to work. I want to go back to work. Um, but uh, but right now, um, we can't even go in the building. One of the pictures I saw of the signs that were there, someone's holding a sign that said, can someone please go check on my plants at my desk? <laughs> yeah. Somebody needs to go water yeah. them. Can't even get in the building, right? Uh, Richard Trumpka, the head of the AFL-CIO, spoke to the crowd there in front of the White House. Shame on the Senate! Shame on the White House! This lockout has to end, and it has to end now! And so... You can hear the crowd. I mean, that was a no, big no, crowd. Yeah, you can hear that. You're a huge crowd. Uh, again, Donald Trump uh, really realizing, I think finally coming to the realization uh, that... He's not going to get his wall from the Congress. And, and I keep reminding everybody of this, but it's such an important point. The Republicans were in charge for two years, okay? They had the House, the Senate, and the White House, as we know, sadly. 
The Republicans never gave him his damn wall. They never gave him money for his stupid wall. So why does he think he's going to get it now that Democrats are in charge of the House? It's not going to happen. And if you put these House bills up again in the Senate, they would pass the Senate. In fact, they did pass the Senate. The same bill to reopen the government while they debate what's going to happen about border security passed the Senate in, in December. The, reason, the only reason it won't pass the Senate today is because Mitch McConnell will not bring it up for a vote. If he were to do so, if he dared do so, it would pass the Senate. We know it would pass. It's already passed the House. And then Donald Trump would have to sign it or veto it. And then that Congress would do its job of overriding his veto or not. That's the way things work. But Donald Trump says, no, it's got to be my way or the highway, refusing to negotiate, refusing to bend at all. And Mitch McConnell, of course, with zero backbone, doing whatever Donald Trump wants. I know we're about to get into this, but I, I just have to say he just so, tweeted uh-huh. uh, about the wall and about the payment for the wall. And again, he uh, had a lot yes. to say about this yesterday, but here's what he just said on Twitter. I often said during rallies with little variation that, quote, Mexico will pay for the wall, end quote. We have just signed a great new trade deal with Mexico. It is billions of dollars a year better than the very bad NAFTA deal, which it replaces. The difference pays for the wall many times over. That the, is that is such a, a flat percent true lie. Yeah, it's a lie. It's, it's a been lie. Debunked, debunked over and over again, and he keeps saying it. Uh, and just just on, on that point, the trade deal with Mexico. Which lowers any tariffs or or, or a, a re, a, it's a, it's a it's a it's a deal whereby we'll send goods to them. They won't slap tariffs on them. They send goods here. Same with Canada. What that means is businesses will pay less for parts or products they're importing from Mexico. Consumers will pay less. There is no money in the trade deal that goes to the federal government. May I repeat? There is no money in that trade deal that goes to the federal government. So Donald Trump is just lying through his teeth, and everybody knows it. While we're on that subject, Donald Trump also said yesterday, before he, because now uh, people, reporters are asking, why are we doing this anyway? Why are you asking for all this money from Congress? Why did you shut down the government because Congress is not going to give you money when you promised us promised the American people over and over and over again that we were not going to have to pay for it. Mexico was going to pay for the wall, right? In fact, you said Mexico was going to write a check for the wall. Well, Donald Trump, before he left for the border yesterday, said, I never, never said that. Never, never said that. When during the campaign, I would say Mexico is going to pay for it. Obviously, I never said this and I never meant they're going to write out a check. I said they're going to pay for it. Never said this and never meant that. The Washington Post reports this morning, they went back and they reviewed all the president's statements, that he actually said Mexico is going to send a check 212 times. They've got him on record 212 times saying Mexico would send a check. Uh, in fact, I think we've got at least one time when he said that. Peter? No? Well, if not, I got it in writing. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, yeah. th- there's the one. I mean, we have, t- I mean, I, if I yeah. went back, I could find right. dozens and dozens that. and dozens of times that he said it. Yeah, for sure. But, but, but anyhow, 212 times. And I also, um, he wrote a memo to the Washington Post and to report, which ended up on his campaign website. I've got it right here. And well, this, and that was during the campaign he did. Also here in, yeah, this, this, this is it. In March 31, 2016, during the campaign, this is a letter to Bob Costa, <coughs> pardon me, and Bob Woodward at the Washington Post, where he says, uh, introduction, it's a little complicated here, the provision of the Patriot Act, section da 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 um, you have to identify payments before opening accounts. That section, that section authorizes the executive branch to issue detailed regulations. Uh, and, and it's an, now pick up. It's an easy decision for Mexico. Make a one-time payment of 5 to $10 billion to ensure that $24 billion continues to flow into their country year after year. Uh, so I mean, look, he like, like he said in this tweet that we just read, right? He did say yeah. multiple times, we had many times that he said, I'm going to build a wall, Mexico's going to pay for it. And okay, he gives himself wiggle room to say, <laughs> okay, I'll figure it out some way with a deal or a tax yeah, or whatever. Right. But there it is in black and white right. from the campaign on Trump campaign letter. Right up to the top it says, Trump, make America great again. And then he says again, a one-time payment of five to ten billion dollars as a down payment for the wall. Sorry, that's not what he's saying now. That is completely different. He right. is lying about what he said. And the fact that he never said Mexico was going to send a check. Here's the here's the physical proof. It's right there, that he did it in writing. And we can you can roll the tape again. The Washington Post puts out two hundred and twelve times. Okay, so. What, what is Donald Trump? He has painted himself into a box on this thing because he said, we have to have the wall. We're going to keep the government shut down without the wall. He's not going to get congressional approval for the funding for the wall. So what does he do? He's either going to have to admit, I was wrong. I'm sorry. He'll never do that. He is genetically incapable <laughs> of doing just, that. He just laughed out loud at the thought of him saying, I'm sorry. Right, right. Or... You know, let's all go back to work and realize we all made a mistake, whatever, whatever. Genetically incapable of doing that. So the only way out of this box that he's painted himself into is probably what he's going to do today. And all the members of Congress that I spoke to last night said they've been told, basically, get ready for this today. Declare an emergency, a national emergency. And with that power of the presidency declaring a national emergency, Take money that's already been allocated somewhere else and say, no, it's gonna, I'm going to move it over here and we're going to spend it to pay for this wall. Now, a couple of things. And where would that money come from? Congress has already been notified what the White House plans to do. Again, this could happen today, maybe Monday, maybe Saturday, Sunday, probably today because he's on this publicity roll. Is it going to take that money from the Army Corps of Engineers? which, according to Congressman uh, Peter DeFazio, he's another one that I met last night, forgot to mention, uh, talked to last night, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers has about $40 billion that's been given to them for projects that they haven't built yet, haven't started yet, but they're in the pipeline. 
Like they do all sorts of very, very, very important projects. And like what I'm thinking of, you know, uh, oh man, like yeah. the city of New Orleans, right? Like when you talked about the levees down there, when we talk about the levees down New there, New Orleans, built by the Army Corps of Engineers, they uh, right. do these sorts of things. Th- this is your government at work. No, 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 folks. They do it like if you're talking about dredging, yeah. you're talking about a particularly a flood flood control projects, especially. Um, this money it, the, for these projects, most of them are, are headquartered or located in Florida, California, Texas, and Puerto Rico. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember a little hurricane problem down there, right? Sure. These are projects to, to build, rebuild infrastructure that yep. was destroyed. Again, Florida, and also, and also California, just- Texas, Puerto Rico, and Donald Trump is going to say, screw you. We're going to use that money to build a wall. It's also, I mean, yes, they do, th- like, after uh, natural disasters, but, they help rebuild, but also just to keep things moving. You talk yeah. about the dredging, right? Like, we have a lot of trade that goes up and down the rivers here in America, and it's made possible by the fact that we are able to go in there and dredge and keep things moving. Now, that's not something that your average American, or even probably the farmers or the people that produce the goods that go on these ships, know a lot about, but these things happen. But I'll tell you, who, does, who knows a lot about the Army Corps of Engineers is uh, every governor, uh, every uh, emergency m- management offices in every state because they depend on the Corps of Engineers. That's where the money and the expertise comes from. So a couple of things, I mean, several things wrong with this emergency declaration. Uh, number one, it's most likely unconstitutional. Dick Durbin, senator from Illinois yesterday, uh, pointed out uh, this is far beyond uh, uh, presidential powers spelled out in the Constitution. If any president, this one or any president, decides that they want to just move unilaterally to spend funds uh, and declare a national emergency for whatever they find of interest, it goes way beyond what I consider the clear delegation of authority of the Constitution. So it is definitely going to be challenged um, by, by, in fact, the Democrats in Congress have already already have making plans of the White House is planning on how they can declare this emergency declaration. Democrats in Congress are already planning on how they can stop it in the courts. Um, they may not, interestingly enough, they may not have legal status to challenge it, but they've already talked to several states who are willing to challenge this because, again, it would take money from them, allocated to them for specific projects. A lot of these in Trump country, by the way, that they've been fighting for for a long time, and those states are going to challenge that. So I think this is something that could go directly to the to the United States Supreme Court. And I know we said we would never play this game again, but every once in a while you just got to slip back into it and say, imagine what the Republican response would be if Barack Obama had ever declared a national emergency to end-run the Constitution Take dictatorial powers to rat, rip money from one agency and put it in another, which Congress had appropriated and approved, override Congress and say, no, that money's going to be spent for my pet project. It's going to be spent for my horizontal Trump tower along the southern border. Uh, yeah, Republic, their impeachment hearings would have started right away. They used to call him a dictator. They used to talk about him completely subverting the rule of law, uh, completely ignoring the uh, the limit that the Constitution puts on presidential powers. And look at what we got. Look at what we got. Right. 
Uh, by the way, there's one other thing wrong with the wall. Um, uh, as uh, Dana Milbach pointed out in a column the other day, uh, it's medieval, right? That in the, it's in the Middle Ages that they used to build walls. Um, Donald Trump couldn't let that one pass either. Yesterday, this <laughs> yesterday, is so great. while he's down at the border. Uh, okay, our favorite soundbite of the day. Uh, what about that medieval wall? They say a wall is medieval. Well, so is a wheel. A wheel is older than a wall. <laughs> yeah, Bill. You ever think about that? <laughs> Jeez. A wheel is older than a wall. A wheel is older a wheel. than a wall. Yeah. You never, th- you, know, you never think about that. Yeah. We're going to ban wheels? No. Jesus. God, what? <laughs> oh, man. I got to say. It's honestly like hanging out with your grandpa who is. Who's. Very up there in age and is having some serious uh, deterioration mentally. Just sitting there talking about. They say a wall is medieval. <laughs> well, so is a wheel. A wheel is older than a wall. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, a little other, uh, other, another. We'll get more into the wall. Your comments always welcome on the wall and the uh, <clears throat> medieval wheel and the emergency declaration uh, on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, a couple of other items in the news keeping up with. Yes, there is life outside the shutdown, life outside the wall. Michael Cohen, president's former personal attorney and former fixer, the man who arranged all the hush money payments for Donald Trump, has agreed to testify. Here we go. We're off and running. Testify in front of the House Oversight Committee, uh, chaired now by uh, Congressman Elijah Cummings from Baltimore, our good friend. Uh, he will testify in front of the Oversight Committee on February 7th in public testimony um, and expected also to testify privately about what he knows about any dealings with between the Trump campaign and the Russians. Uh, on the 2020 front, Kirsten Gillibrand scheduled to go out to Iowa this weekend. Elizabeth Warren was there last weekend. Uh, Jay Inslee, a governor of Washington, is scheduled to go into New Hampshire uh, this weekend. Kamala Harris, off on her book tour, uh, saw her on uh, on one of the morning shows this morning. Uh, so everybody, people are really starting to get out there and uh, make themselves known uh, and seen. Um, and meanwhile, Beto O'Rourke, yesterday. No, I don't want to talk about this. Don't make me talk about this. Live tweeted while he was getting his teeth cleaned at the dentist. Too much. You know what? Too much. It's I too mean, much. Beto, do not try to outdo Donald Trump on look, Twitter. That, look, that, that, you know, that's just silly. He's onto something. He did a lot of great things by letting people into his life and yeah, but live I don't streaming need all this his, stuff. Yeah, no. Just turn the phone off sometimes, yeah, turn okay? The phone off. What's next? Yeah, I don't need to the see The live streaming any. of his colonoscopy? No, thanks. We don't need that either. Or maybe just... You know, a visit to the bathroom. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, let's put yeah. everything out there. Here I am taking my morning constitutional. Yeah. I, I mean, don't no. need it. No, do not need it. Beto, mm, they grow up here on that. On that. Uh, but I got to tell you, you know, once in a while you see a little bit of good news. This incredible story about this 13-year-old girl from Wisconsin, uh, Jamie Close, I guess you pronounce her last name, C-L-O-S-S. Unbelievable. Um, I don't know how many weeks ago it was. Her parents were murdered. She was at home when they were murdered. She totally has been missing since. Uh, and everybody had just, I'd, everybody had given up on her. And she walked up to, in a, in a little town in Wisconsin, Gordon, Wisconsin, like 70 miles from her home near Minneapolis, and went up to a woman walking the street and said, can you please help me? 
Unbelievable oh. story. Yeah. We don't know all the details. They arrested a suspect about 10 minutes later. So, but thank God that she's she's alive. And uh, boy, what an incredible story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, horrifyingly sad, but there is th- this, uh, uh, at least some good news out of it. It's yeah, it's nice to say it's a happy ending, but what a tragedy, you know, that's going to take her a long yeah, time. sure. A long time to recover. Reminds me of the, the, the remember the other case like that? Young girl, Elizabeth Smart. Elizabeth Smart. Yeah, sure. Yeah. There was there was another one not that long ago too. There've been a couple, but yeah, Elizabeth Smart's probably the highest profile one. Yeah, but you know they were searching for this girl for a long time. They just gave it up. They just suspended the search and everything, and she showed up last night. So thank God uh, that 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 worked out. And final uh, little update is that Steve King may finally have stepped over the line a little too far. Where yesterday, in an interview, he said, "Since when did?" The t- white supremacism and white nationalism and racism become offensive. Uh, by the way, you're since n- when, by the way, Steve King? By the way, you're not exaggerating. No. That is what he said. That's what he said, word for word. Since when did white supremacism become offensive? And he also said that the Democratic Party is not the party for white men. Oh, boy. Uh, Republicans, even Kevin McCarthy, condemned his remarks yesterday. And there is a move now underway in the House to censure him, maybe just throw him the hell out. He got a uh, primary opponent yesterday, too. Yes, a Republican primary. A Republican primary, primary, which Steve King is not used to seeing, so fingers crossed, man. Steve King, by the way, the first Trumper, right? Yeah. He was a Trumper before Donald Trump was a Trumper. And uh, and by the way, there is not not any difference, no different distance at all between who Steve Steve King is and who Donald Trump is. All right, lots going on here. From the Business Insider, we're going to take a look at uh, what might happen with this emergency declaration with Joe Perticone from the Business Insider. Uh, Coming up next here on The Bill Press Show, give us a quick moment, a little break here, and we'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. And on a Friday, Friday, January 11th, I know you don't usually see me on a Friday, but uh, I just love you so much I couldn't stay away. (laughs) It's the Bill Press Show. Great to be with you today, and thank you for joining us as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, where we're brought to you today by the um, Teamsters uh, uh, Union, the Brotherhood of Teamsters. Good men and women of the team shows under President Jim Hoffa. We all live better because of their good work. And check out their website at teamster.org. From Business Insider, political reporter Joe Perticone joining us uh, in studio to talk particularly about um, the pending emergency declaration. Hi, Joe. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. Into that, um, we've been uh, at this for a little while here with uh, some comments from our audience. But, Peter, I have to tell you, yeah. uh, during the break here, for the first time, I actually saw the live stream of uh, Beto O'Rourke in the dentist chair. I'm sorry I mean, you had to watch that. Give me a break. I'm Who sorry you had to watch that. cares? Yeah, no, right? I don't need that. No, don't need that. I don't no. need that. Uh, if you the, wanna... I, the object of running... Maybe running for president as a Democrat is not to try to look sillier than Donald Trump. Okay, true. I, look, there's got to with social media and sharing all these things. I think it's a whole new world for politicians. But there is a tipping point, and I think we may have just found it. Like I think this might be it. Yeah. Because I don't want to see any Democratic politician go get their teeth cleaned. 
mm. uh, and have a live stream of it. If you want to share with us, you could do it on B- at BP Show. There we go. But don't share any videos no, of you please. getting your teeth cleaned. We don't want to see those either. But you can share your comments. Again, at BP Show is where you can find us. Uh, Diane says, another reason that Donald Trump won't negotiate with Democrats is because the House is led by a woman. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He thought he was going to be able to push over Nancy Pelosi. He totally you did. You know it. Yeah. Uh, John says, Trump's declaring of a national emergency and pulling funding meant f- uh, for projects, many of which are to mitigate effects of climate change, is a double disaster for America. Trump needs to be legally removed from office now. Uh, all right. So if you have a comment on any topic at any time, just give us a shout on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, so, Joe, I was—I mentioned earlier I went down to the was down to um, Longworth office building last night for a reception with the Progressive Caucus and talked to several members of Congress last night, uh, and they were all—they had all got the word during the day yesterday that they can expect even as early as today that Donald Trump will declare a national emergency. Uh, and allocate funds probably from the Corps of Engineers, Army Corps of Engineers, to um, pay for his his wall. So where are we on that? Is that what you hear? And does the president, is it clear that he has that legal authority? It's not exactly clear that he has the legal authority. Uh, from most of the people I spoke to uh, in Cap- on Capitol Hill, um, it's kind of up in the air. A lot of, uh, for instance, Mac Thornberry, chair, or former chairman of the Armed Services Committee, he's a Republican, now he's ranking member, uh, he said, you know, I, I don't like spending non-defense defense dollars for non-defense purposes. He didn't like the idea of that. Uh, then on Tuesday, I was standing right next to Lindsey Graham when he said, I don't even know if you legally can do that and that it's not his preferred route. Late afternoon yesterday, he comes out and he's totally for it. So Republicans are kind of uh, all over Are you place. surprised that Lindsey Graham would... Uh you know, do a 180 in order to support Donald Trump. I mean, that's who Lindsey Graham is it's these days. It's become more apparent that he likes to do that, especially in the past year. Uh, but I yeah. mean, historically, he's been a lot more moderate on immigration than most in the Republican Party. Oh, yeah. So he's kind of taken a you know hard right turn. But and then amongst Democrats, they say that, you know, there there, there would be so many court challenges to this and it, it could delay it a lot. But there are also a lot of Democrats that like the idea of this kind of broad powers because they've you've seen not so much on capitol hill but kind of off the hill you've seen more democrats say you know well we could use this power for other things like climate change which you know they say is a a very big crisis as well for instance well certainly um if um if a republican if donald trump were to do this uh democrats could use that argument once the democrats gets back in the white house hey work donald trump did it so why can't we do it for whatever our pet project is Mm -hmm. right his well, pet project is the wall. Barack Obama's might have been climate change or who knows what. Right? Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, lots of presidents have used this power, just not in this way that is very clearly political. You know, this is a hot button issue that was, you know, the bedrock of his presidential campaign. Um, other times it's been used for like floods or something. You know, it's not the same thing. But that's why everyone's so up in arms and why it's such a controversial topic this time around well and it, it could be in the future right and in fact let's back to the the source of the funding that they've identified or the, the of stealing the money from the army corps of engineers right what is their job i mean the, that's what they do and they they build and they you know 
construct things, but usually it's for defense purposes. So it's kind of unclear if this there's this immediate need for a physical barrier. Does that count as defense? And that's what uh, Mac Thornberry, ranking member on Armed Services, was saying that he didn't really look at it as a, as a defense purpose, even but, though it is you know border security. But the Corps does. Uh, uh, maybe you could call them national security, but but I mean the Corps built the levees in New Orleans, right? The Corps does a lot of dredge. I remember. Growing up in Delaware, the dredging of the Delaware River Channel and the canal was always done by the Army Corps of Engineers, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they do they do public works projects, basically, don't they, as yes. well? Yeah, so, I mean, it, that's why it's so, you know, unclear of, you know, does this count for a national emergency, you know? There would have to be all kinds of legal justifications, which I'm sure the White House is in the process of, you know— preparing so that when they say, you know, and, and you've seen it in their rhetoric, uh, White House officials have ramped up the use of the word crisis. So in oh, the event yeah. this is challenged later, they can say, well, we were talking about it as a crisis for quite some time before we implemented this. And I also read this morning that the president has said he wants it, he wants them to start construction in 45 days, right? Yeah. I, the president likes to demand a lot of things. So it's unclear if he can actually do those things, though. So uh, these these funds for the core for, are for projects that he wants are projects that have already been approved by Congress and money appropriated by Congress. Mm-hmm. Most of this right? money is already appropriated because they already finished up their defense funding for the year. That's not right. under the shutdown. Okay. Um, and that's what they want to use that money for. All right. So let's say I'm um, McAllen, Texas or someplace in Texas, right, where there's some big public works project. I've been lobbying the Congress. We got the money through Congress. The money was appropriated by Congress for that particular project. Uh, is it likely that these states that are impacted, and I, the ones that I saw California, particularly are California, Texas, Florida, and then Puerto Rico, that they can sue and say, hey, uh-huh, that money is already ours, baby. Congress gave it to us for this project. You cannot take it for your stinking wall. Uh, I'm not exactly sure on the on the like legal challenges that they could mount, but you know, I know that a lot of the time the defense department has more money than they know what to do with. Uh, so there's That's you know sure. there's there's all kinds of cases uh, to be made that you know they can reallocate funds or you know, they that gets into really tricky legal territory. Does Congress, do you know? I know you're not a lawyer neither am I. So we're just what do you what what do people tell you is really what I'm asking. Does Congress the Democrats that I talked to last night, they were all Democrats. They're all going to fight this, right? Do they have the le- – they're not sure. Do, do do you think they have the legal standing to to bring a lawsuit against it, or are they going to have to depend on, like, some of the states to do this? I, You know, I, I'm not quite sure. I know that well, – I was, I was talking to Richard Blumenthal. Um, he's yeah. a Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, and he was saying that – you know, there will be lawsuits coming from left and right, you know, all over the place. Uh, so I think it could be it would likely be states. And, and like you said, in specific areas where they said, hey, well, this right. was meant for us. There could be that. Um, but I mean, it, it's kind of murky because it's like a federal action. But it, impacts it, it seems to me the challenge will be uh, executive authority versus congressional authority. And I, th- I believe the Constitution clearly gives the appropriations authority spending authority, funding authority to the United States Congress, not to the president. That's always been established or held. And I, I, Donald Trump tries to end run that by an emergency declaration 
it'll definitely be a challenge, probably go all the way to the Supreme Court and probably the fast to the Supreme Court. Yeah, I, you think. know, something this hot of an issue, and we've seen it like with his uh, travel bans, you know, they get elevated really quickly. Right. Um, so, yeah, you could certainly see it going to the Supreme Court really fast. But when he says, you know, I want construction in 45 days, right away, once he does this, you know, in a matter of days, it could say, actually, like, we're halting this right now. Sure. The courts, and then oh, sure. like the court has to let it play out. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, so what kind of, uh, if, that, if that, the one, I guess the point I was going to make is, the one good thing about the emergency declaration, I believe, right, would be that he would reopen the government at the same time. Yeah, and then that's what he would sell as his win, you know, government's back open, getting the wall, everyone's happy, and it... Democrats I, wouldn't reopen the government. I, I am, right? So say thank you to me, right, yeah. all you federal employees. And, and, and it would, you owe me. You're starting to see more Republicans crack. It was, you know, <coughs> I think it was seven Republicans voted Democrats the first time they tried to eight. reopen the House. Yeah, yeah eight. Actually, eight. Uh, and then yesterday it was 12. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it's taking... And two of the people that voted for it, of the Republicans, were former NRCC chairmen. So... You're seeing a lot of cracks, but it's still not enough. Uh, and a lot of Republicans just want to say, like, let's just hold out because if he but if he does this emergency declaration, that gives them an easy out to say, oh, we're opening the government back up. We're getting the wall. Um, check off every box. Right. Um, do, do your sources tell you that it could happen as early as today? Uh, that's what I've been hearing. I haven't, uh, you know, just from other press reports, but I haven't. You know, I haven't heard that yet. Uh, I know that Republicans are still on edge. And and a, a big issue is just getting all of the proper legal citations so that, you know, they don't get caught with their pants down, yeah. you know, right when they do implement this. Because right. there have been very bad rollouts of policies by the White House before, and they know that if they screw up, then he might not ever get that additional border barrier or wall. And they want to make sure they get it right. Right. Uh, Joe Perricone with us from the Business Insider. It's businessinsider.com. You know, I'm curious. Um, I know you're the political reporter for Business Insider, but um, your colleagues co talking to CEOs and across the board, what's the business community's reaction to Donald Trump? I mean, how they do, do they see him as one of theirs, or are they in such chaos in the White House and such uncertainty? You never know what the guy's going to do from one day to the next, uh, does that result in any apprehension inside the business community? You've seen big business leaders like Jamie Dimon, you know, speak out against Trump, and then they backtrack because they're they fear kind of a retaliation. Um, but this White House has been very, very business friendly. Um, there's been lots of deregulation, which they like. Um, but it, it's kind of hit or miss because you, you, you've seen, for instance, on net neutrality, a lot of these corporations supported that and then they rolled this back. So it, it's kind of, you know, hit or miss. But d Trump has never been like in the close circle the way that like other top CEOs are because he was, you know, a reality TV star as well. Um, and he's so outlandish that he's kind of his own breed. Uh, but I mean, you see from time to time. A lot of business leaders really like him, and some just do not. Right. Yeah. Uh, and overall, um, maybe surprisingly, the uh, the recovery, which started under Barack Obama, continued for eight years under Barack Obama, has, for the most part, continued under Donald Trump. No? 
Yeah. A, a big difference, though, between the Trump administration and the Obama administration is manufacturing. Uh, there's been so much more growth in manufacturing uh, just in the past two years compared to the Obama administration. Uh, but outside of that, yeah, it's basically, you know, you can, if you look at the chart of job, you know, unemployment rate, it's just like it's a perfect line. You know, there's no you know uptick when Trump comes in. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and the market, for the most part, has continued again, as started under Barack Obama, to just keep growing, growing, growing. Lately, a few bumps in the road, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't, I mean, there've been some dramatic days where there've been dramatic drops and then it sort of comes back up again. So, I mean, you almost wonder whether whoever's in the White House makes any difference at all. (laughs) You certainly have an extreme difference in terms of, in style of governing and the policies between Obama and Trump and yet you don't see that reflected, at least I don't, in yeah. the overall economic yeah, it, health of the country. Yeah, it depends on a lot of factors. And, you know, markets are crazy and they always rebound and they come up and they go down. But, you know, you saw really big rallies leading up to the passage of the t- new tax law, uh, for instance. Yeah. You know, things that benefit these big companies, they they like them. So it's reflected. Uh, right. And then um, just before the beginning of the year when the tariffs were, were being talked about, particularly the market reacted somewhat negatively. So where are we with the tariffs today? And why don't we see, that's one thing I thought might really send the market in a uh, in a spin or the economy in a spin, but it doesn't, is, is, is it just because the tariffs don't have an impact or that they're not big enough yet to have an impact? I certainly think they they are sort of having an impact. You've seen several companies uh, cite this policy as a, as a partial factor, or or the retaliation by countries like China as uh, partial factors for you know not meeting their you know quarterly goals. Um, Apple had a really bad quarter. Boy, did they ever! Yeah, yeah. I, and so there, you've you've seen it in some cases, um, but the president seized the tariffs and hitting these countries this way as like his prime negotiating tactic and you know how that factors into their new trade deal that they want to replace NAFTA with um but i mean if you on capitol hill republicans do not like tariffs it's like the least republican policy so but they still you know stomach it as much as they can but in order to get this new trade deal through, you know, Trump needs Nancy Pelosi, and he can't do anything. They can't even get the ball rolling until this government shutdown is over. And, you know, the longer that draws on, the less likely it appears that Congress is going to ratify this big new trade deal. Well, I know you've been looking at the, this new what USMCA, is that what it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the difference? This is the new NAFTA, right? Is this better than the old NAFTA, which I was never fond of, and how? Uh, I, don't, I can't say if it's better or worse, but there there are a handful of differences um, that gets into like deep details. Uh, but you know, I think a big problem about it is really the politics of it, or also the ability to can they pass this new thing, and then also Trump likes to threaten to withdraw from NAFTA unilaterally all the time, and it's like pretty broad consensus that he's has no authority to do that. NAFTA was ratified by Congress. You can't undo an act of Congress without the consent of Congress. And, you know, even Republicans like Pat Toomey, who's on financial services, said, you know, you cannot do that. So 
you know, I think that's where the big hurdles are. So wait, are. are you saying that NAFTA still exists? Yes. <laughs> you, you wouldn't know that if you listened to Donald Trump. Yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. right? And he this and NAFTA's. I got rid of NAFTA. He said that over and over again. Yeah, and he's and he says, you know, every other day, I might unilaterally withdraw, and it's just, you know, across the board consensus that like the legal authority just doesn't exist. And even if it did, I this was like a couple months ago. I was talking to Pat Toomey about it, and he said, you know, even if he did have the legal authority, that would send the economy into a tailspin. That kind of abrupt and, and not having any deal in place. And I know that this White House loves to do bilateral trade agreements over, you know, big uh, agreements like NAFTA. Um, right. But they, you know, they just don't have the authority. Yeah, it's, right. it, it's almost like Trump just doesn't understand the job of the president in that sense or the powers of the president. And, and, and to be fair. I don't think a lot of people understand that, right? Like, I think if if he was to say, I'm going to tell the American people I'm pulling out of NAFTA, the American people would just go, okay, you know, like, that that's something he can do. But, as Joe, as you pointed out, it's, it's not something that he can do entirely. And it this carries over to the same thing with the exec, or the national emergency uh, stuff for the wall. It's just this is something that he wants to do if he was the CEO of a company if if America was a company and he was the CEO, he'd be able to do that type of stuff. I think it's pretty clear he sees the powers of the presidency as unlimited. Yes. Well, yeah, he's used to being the boss and, you know, he hasn't dealt with, you know, co-equal branches of government. And as much as Congress likes he to— He didn't have to for yeah. two years because the Republicans well, never Yeah, as much as they like themselves. to cede authority uh, to the president, you know, it doesn't— there are still so many legal barriers in place that, you know, even if Congress doesn't want to do its job, um, there's so many legal barriers in place to say, well, you can't even you can't even try to do that. And that's some things that he comes, you know, has to come to grip with grips with in like a number of different issues. Well, I'm going to come back to um, to NAFTA. I mean, I'm not an expert in it, but I do believe and I've been convinced by people I've talked to that I mean, NAFTA resulted in the flight of thousands and thousands of jobs from the United States uh, to Mexico and really, really wrecked the economy of particularly some of the heartland states where the manufacturing was taken place. How is this new NAFTA going to change that? Is it going to bring the jobs back? That's what Trump says. <laughs> okay, now I know it's not true. <laughs> but if no, Trump says it. They're, I mean, they're, they're pretty similar. And, and then when Trump says, you know, oh, we're going to um, – pay for the wall through the money earned from this new deal. Uh, they haven't specifically cited where that money's going to come from. But there there are a number of ways that, you know, different jobs can come back. But then, you know, I, I still have to get more into the details of the of the deal. Um, well, I was just – I was going to ask you about that because that's the final point on this new NAFTA is that um, the president tweeted again this morning – oop, here he is – Come up here. Hello. I often said during rallies with little variation that Mexico will pay for the wall. We have just signed a great new trade deal with Mexico. It is billions of dollars a year better than the very bad NAFTA deal, which it replaces. The difference pays for wall many times over. How? That's still unclear and he said before on tariffs he says well we're we're making money from the tariffs but it's not because the tariffs are taxes on americans um so you know he, he thinks that like the the surplus or whatever from it will basically like 
balance off whatever the wall might cause. Well, so far as I can figure out and with this deal, let's say this deal is good for American companies, American workers, right? Because goods coming in from Mexico or Canada won't have tariffs on them. They're going to cost less or be you know, uh, manufacturing parts or whatever they're bringing in. Um, and that means consumers will pay less for these products at the, at, at the stores. Where is the money going to the federal government to pay for the wall? I mean, there's, there's nothing in here that says X percent of the money you save is going to go to the federal government. Yeah, well, there's also this logic that, you know, more money in the hands of Americans means more revenue ultimately. But then they also just cut revenue. That Yes, exactly. That's a real stretch. But that's probably as far as the, the only thing they could, they could come up with as an answer. Yeah. So, well, we may know by the end of the day, uh, before the end of the day, what uh, whether it's going to go in this direction, Joe. Thanks so much for coming in today. Um, Matt, uh, businessinsider.com, Joe Perdicone, Matt Gertz coming up next. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yet today is the day that paychecks are due, but guess what? Paychecks are not going to arrive for hundreds of thousands of federal workers. The Trump shutdown continues on a Friday, January 11. Hello, everybody. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us. The Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And joining you everywhere in this great land of ours, online, on the radio, and on television, with all the news of the day uh, here from Washington, D.C., the latest on the shutdown, the latest on rumors that President Trump will try to get himself out of the box he's painted himself into with an emergency declaration today, uh, giving him the powers to override the Congress and seize money from somewhere else, Congress might have dedicated it and used it to build his stupid wall. Um, and in addition to the news from uh, Washington, D.C., also around the country and around the globe, we'll bring you up to date and look forward to hearing from you what you think about all that's going on. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, and uh, this is the week, remember, that the president made his first Oval Office address from uh, the White House. Um, for um, basically a political stunt. Matt Gertz is here from Media Matters of America uh, to bring us up to date on all the latest media trends uh, and particularly the, some of the games that have been played down in the White House on the media front. Hello, Matt. It's good to see you. Happy New Year. Good to be back. Happy New Year. First time in the new year, all yeah. right? Yeah. Great to see you. We've got lots to talk about, and we'll get right into it. Uh, with, again, your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, 
This is the Full Court Press. Alrighty, just a couple of other stories making news. So, you know, we don't talk a lot about the NFL uh, here on the show, but the NFL playoffs are kicking off this Every time weekend. we do, it's negative. You, it's true. <laughs> Usually it's, it's it's negative. But let's let's talk about the, the playoffs this weekend. One game in particular. Uh, so we are going to see Tom Brady of the Patriots mm-hmm. and Phillip Rivers of the Chargers take each other on. They are the two quarterbacks. They are very, very old. Let's just be very clear about that. Uh, Tom Brady, 41 years old. Well, for, for professional That's athletes. That's not very, very old. For professional old. athlete standards, it's very, very <laughs> oh, old. Oh, okay. 41 years old for Tom Brady, 37 years old for Phillip Rivers. You put the two of them together, that is the oldest combination of quarterbacks that the NFL has ever seen. Uh, they've played each other several times. The very first time they played uh, back in the playoffs, or in the playoffs, were back in 2006. Hmm. And well, so, really? Yeah, yeah. So they've been around for a long, long time. Are they going to have walkers? We'll they- <laughs> Just be very careful of their hips while you're out there playing. Uh, do not do that. Okay, here's a very, very bad idea. Let's go to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, where a man had to go to court. And this is just a just a you know a speeding ticket thing that he had to go to, and one of his friends dared him, "You should show up to court with no pants on." Oh come on! Well, the guy did it. He showed up to court with no pants on, no underwear uh, either. He just showed up with no. Well, so get out. What what was an easy traffic ticket turned into a charge for indecent exposure. The man was arrested. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Was he drunk? He, he was definitely very stupid, and I don't yeah. know what it was that caused him to be that way. Also, we've talked a lot about the shutdown. Here's a story that's very depressing about the shutdown. In Joshua Tree National Park, the desert is being completely vandalized. People are going in, cutting down some of the trees. Oh, Joshua God. Tree, I oh, mean, God. these are amazing trees. And uh, they have uh, stayed open. Uh, through part of the shutdown, even though they don't have the uh, the They're funding. amazing trees that are hundreds, hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of years yeah. old. No, I mean, for crying out loud. And they only grow right there. But they don't have the staff uh, to, you know, monitor these situations. So people are going in, cutting them down, taking them home with them. Idiots. Good Lord. I don't know what the, uh, yeah. Thank you, Donald. This is the Bill Press Show. Day 21 of the Trump shutdown and um, no real end in sight, although rumors that the president may try to end it today by declaring a national emergency and redirecting funds from the Army Corps of Engineers to build his for projects in several different states, uh, including the territory of Puerto Rico and using that money to build his wall. We'll keep you up to date on that and all the rest of the news today here on the Bill Press Show. Good to see you, and thanks so much for joining us on this Friday, January 11, as we come to you live, as always, from Washington, D.C. And uh, join me in welcoming to the studio for his first visit here in 2019, Matt Gertz, the senior fellow at Media Matters for America. Matt, good to see you. Thanks good to for coming see you in again. Um, Right, there's so much to talk about. Uh, let's start with the president's visit to the uh, border yesterday, which um, 
seemed to serve no other purpose other than to get him out of the White House. And yeah, and it seems like he himself does not really know what he was doing down there. There's, you know, been reporting out of this uh, off-the-record meeting that he held with a bunch of anchors before the uh, speech that he gave on Tuesday uh, that he was basically saying, I don't really know why I'm doing this speech. I don't really know why I'm going to this border. It's, it's you know, it's... It's, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to change anything, but it's, it's a thing to do. So the idea is to just keep focusing attention on the thing that he wants to talk about, which is the border, rather than on the shutdown and the the ramifications and implications of that. Right. Uh, and so he wanted to sort of shine a spotlight on it by putting himself down there. Uh, and we don't know what that little publicity stunt cost us taxpayers, but at any rate, and, uh, you know, the pool went along with him, uh, of course, as a company of the president, kept at a certain, he did make some, a little had a little gaggle with... Uh, made some comments to reporters while he was down there. But for the most part, the pool was kept pretty far away from him, uh, with one exception, Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity, surprise, yes. Surprise, surprise, yeah. Uh, Sean Hannity uh, was down there uh, to uh, end the president's night with an interview on his show, uh, or I guess, I guess he taped it during taped the day and then, interview. then yeah, right. showed it uh, right. that Last night. night. Um and yeah, he was apparently down there, according to the pool reports, uh, basically staying with with the staff, yeah, uh, right. rather than yeah. with the journalists, which right. makes sense because Sean Hannity is, you know, for all intents and purposes, a member of the Trump administration who also has a show uh, on Fox News, and they seem to be fine with that uh, for you know reasons that make no sense under standard journalistic ethics, but for Fox, uh, are pretty much par for the course. I mean, Fox, and and this is the same Sean Hannity who appeared on stage in a campaign rally with Donald Trump. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so Fox has, seems to accept the fact that he is, as you point out, uh, in for all practical purposes, a mem- the highest paid, certainly, member of the White House staff. Yes, we've had two major scandals this year, which for any other, uh, at any other network would have gotten a host fired that Sean Hannity has participated in. So first we had the uh, Michael Cohen revelation, uh, in which, you know, uh, Cohen's lawyers uh, were saying, like, you know, who's uh, who were his clients? Uh, and one of them turned out to be Sean Hannity. And this caused gasps in the courtroom when it was, you know, right. uh, revealed. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. And, you know, after that, we, you know, everyone looks back at what Sean Hannity had been doing in the weeks before that happened. And it turns out that he has been spending a lot of time defending Michael Cohen and saying that, it, you know, it's terrible that, uh, you know, uh, the FBI raided his office uh, and, you know, took all of his documents. Um, yeah. And that's and never know, once said. And by the way, he's my attorney. Yeah. No, that never right. came up. Um, <laughs> you know, and so, you know, after that happened, there were there were a lot of people saying, wow, Fox really has to, you know, make a decision here. Or, yeah. You know, for any, anyone else, this would be a firing offense. Rain him in a little. Sure. And right. Fox did nothing. Uh, they, you know, put out a statement basically saying nothing. There was no apology or sense that he had done anything mm-hmm. wrong. Uh, and, you know, they, he just sort of continued doing what he had been doing uh, for the months after that. And then uh, the night before the midterm elections, uh, Sean Hannity um, goes uh, to a Trump rally. He uh, is described in a press release uh, leading up to that rally as a special guest. But Fox says, no, he's just going to interview the president. Yeah. Uh, and then at the rally itself, the president calls him up on stage. Uh, and he goes. He goes up on stage. He praises the the uh, Trump administration. He attacks the fake news media. Uh, and then he goes back to his job at Fox. Again, there's a big uproar. Uh, there's a lot of people saying, wow, Fox needs to do something. They need to you know, 
show some sense that they understand journalistic ethics. Uh, and again, they do nothing. Uh, they release a statement saying, we've addressed this and it's a distraction. Uh, and that's about it. Um, and then two months later, he's interviewing the president of the United States. And Fox is fine with this because Fox is a propaganda outlet. Uh, and I think at this point, everyone basically understands that. Right. And so any any um, notion that under the new management at Fox, post Roger Ailes, post Bill Shine, uh, that they have become more fair and objective. Yeah. I mean, if anything. Phony, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think I that's. I mean, look, you've got, it's not just Sean Hannity. It's Lou not Dobbs. just Sean Hannity. It's Lou Dobbs uh, who, you know, the, the sort of. Sidebar to all of this is that a lot of these Fox News hosts are simultaneously serving as people who have shows on the network and as like private advisors to the president who he calls up and asks for advice about policy and political issues. Uh, and so both Hannity and Lou Dobbs, according to uh, the Daily Beast, have been advising Trump on the shutdown while all this is going on. Um, and so this is just a, a thing that happens. We have we have this uh, television news network who, that has a lot of hosts that effectively work for both the network and for the president. Uh, just a little flashback. When I was um, in California uh, and applied for the job as co-host at Crossfire, uh, I was also the Democratic state chair of California at the time. In my spare time, it did not pay. It was a volunteer position. Um, it does pay now. I made sure of that for anybody who succeeded me, but I was not paid. And I had my regular job, which was a radio and TV host. Um, so I get the job on Crossfire, and the first thing the CNN said, you've got the job, but you have to resign as chair of the California Democratic Party, and you can no longer contribute to any candidate. You mm -hmm. have to cut off basically all political activity, right? Hello, what a different standard. Yeah, there are sort of basic journalistic ethics standards. By the way, that CNN was right. I, yeah. I, I'm not criticizing him. I'm just saying that's the way it ought to be done. I remember later, uh, in the Crossfire days, Mary Madeline was one of our co-hosts and my still good friend was um, not on the payroll, but one of the inner advisors to George W. Bush in his presidential campaign. She was on the morning conference calls or something, and CNN said, "Hey, you're either." On the conference call, or you're working for CNN, you can't do both. So, yeah. so, I mean, that's the way it ought to be. I think that's right. I mean, I think that these can be sort of difficult uh, issues to deal with on, on a day-to-day -day basis. It's, I'm sure, somewhat hard for these networks to, like, tell people you can't do this thing that you've been doing. But, you know, at some level, there has to be an understanding that, like, a host of a cable news show can't also be a presidential advisor. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, so the big question about the Oval Office address is, should the networks have given Donald Trump this time for what we knew ahead of time was going to be pure propaganda? Yeah, I think no. I think this was quite shameful for the networks. You know, there's sort of this fundamental question about Donald Trump uh, and how the media should handle him, which basically boils down to, is he a normal president? Like, do you give him the same <laughs> leeway that you give presidents in the past? Know the answer to that. Uh, and I think the answer here is no. We know that he lies much more than any other president we've ever seen, matters large and small. If you put him on your airwaves live, he is going to lie to your audience. That's just the way it is. 
Uh, and so, you know, and I think there was actually a precedent here for the networks to turn him down, which is in 2014, uh, Barack Obama wanted to give a speech on the same issue of Im- immigration reform um, or the same issue of immigration. Uh, and uh, he was going to actually, you know, produce a lot of news in this speech, uh, you know, lay out uh, DACA and a whole host of other actual policy changes that his administration was making. Uh, and the White House reached out to the networks and said, we would like, uh, you know, time in prime time uh, to talk about this. Uh, and they turned him down. They said it was going to be too political uh, and that they didn't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and now, you know, four years later, uh, we've got a different president who also wants time on the networks to talk about immigration with no new policy announcements of any kind, literally just saying the same talking points and, uh, you know, lies about the border that he's been saying for years and years and years, uh, and they give it to him, and he does what everyone knew he was going to do, give those same lies about the border that he's been saying for years. So I think they got totally played on this. I think it was uh, shameful and very disappointing. Right. And I hope they learned something from this. I'm skeptical Uh, that they have, but I hope they do. I'm curious. I was asked on um, CNN International uh, what whether we whether the president w- would tell the truth? <laughs> this was before the speech, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I my response was, look, it's it's predicted to last eight minutes. Donald Trump cannot speak for eight minututes without telling a few lies. I think that's right. And you know, on immigration, I, mean, I said, I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. On yeah. immigration specifically, he yeah. always lies, and he tells the same lies. And they know, you know there were all these oh. different news outlets that were able to put together. Like basically cheat sheets. Like here are the lies that the president is probably going to tell tonight. Right. Just so you know. So the, they did two things. The networks did two things uh, to make up for that, if you will. I think because I I do mm-hmm. feel they felt uneasy about sure. doing it, but they also and and I think they were afraid to turn Donald Trump down, even though he attacks them mercilessly many times a day. They knew that he would do so even more so maybe if they turned him down. I, they did not want to maybe give him that ammunition, so they said, mm-hmm. yeah, we better do this. But they did give time immediately following to Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, which they had to, right? Yeah. The other thing I thought was interesting is, I, and I didn't watch every network, but the ones that I skipped across, is almost everybody had fact checkers in place mm-hmm. immediately after the speech. Yeah. Now, I remember before, some, uh, you'd have to wait until maybe the next morning or another day later when in the newspaper there might be some reflection on, well, this wasn't quite accurate. With Trump, they came out of his speech right to the fact checkers. I think that's right. Um, I think that that is a good step forward uh, that uh, journalists have been taking, really sort of centering the fact checking in the reporting. Um, I do think... You know, it would have been good to see I them. I agree with you. That they should not have given the speech in the yeah. first place. But I, I think I think that's sort of the there's sort of tiers of good behavior that we could do. First would be not airing the speech live and just you know, reporting it out after the fact, uh, which I think is a perfectly legitimate way to handle basically anything yeah. the president says. Right. You know, you can you know, the journalists can watch it themselves, figure out what is important, what is not, what is true, what is false, uh, and then report it out like any other story. There's a second level, I think, which uh, a lot of media critics started to push for once the uh, networks all said they were going to carry the speech, which is why not either have it on delay so that you can jump in and point out when he says things are false oh, or, or use captions and chirons to point out yeah. that what the president has just said 
is not true. And I think that's a very good, that would have been a, a very good step for them to take. We, we, we talked about that ahead of the speech here on the show, that, that they, they, they kind of a running Chiron. Yeah. You know, of, or, and I keep trying to remember the name of that famous commercial where there was a guy, Joe, somebody who was talking and, and had bubbles mm-hmm. saying what he, what, what, that he wasn't telling the truth, this is what's really going on. Yeah. This whole thing is such a silly game, right? Because, to your point, Matt, I agree, they, they should not have carried it. But, you know, Barack Obama, uh, you know, fairly nice to the media, didn't shut the media out, certainly didn't call them enemy of the people or anything like that. And when he gave a speech on immigration, mm-hmm. they didn't cover it. They yeah. didn't carry it live. But Donald Trump has spent his entire presidency talking about how terrible the media is, how unfair they are to him, and all of this. And then they carried it live because they didn't want to face the backlash of him yelling and screaming and telling more lies about what the media does. And they so, caved in just like congressional Republicans do. Absolutely. The, yeah, sort of, absolutely. the total fecklessness here. I mean, the reality is there is literally nothing that any of these news outlets can do to get the president to stop attacking him. Uh, stop attacking them. This is a core part of his strategy. I mean, the flip side to lying all the time is needing to delegitimize anyone who can point out that you are lying all the time, right? Like if he wants to pull everyone into this alternate reality of his, he needs to brutalize the media on a regular basis. And he's going to keep doing it. You saw last night, uh, the president during his interview with Sean Hannity saying most of them are fake news. You're the real news. Well, (laughs) If you want the president to stop attacking you, that is what you need to do. You need to behave like Sean Hannity. If these journalists want to be complete lickspittles who also go up and like literally uh, praise the president's administration during one of his rallies, that is a thing they can do to make uh, the president stop attacking them. And that's like the yeah. Yeah, but I mean, what you saw was on Tuesday morning, the president was attacking the media on Twitter. And then on Tuesday afternoon, they were asking for this time. And then on, it, or sorry, the, this was Monday. And mm-hmm. then on, on Tuesday, uh, they they all gave him the time, and he gave the speech. And then he was attacking them again the next day, right? So this never actually stops. There's nothing that you can do to prevent the attacks from continuing. So why not do what you actually think is the right thing to do, rather than trying to, you know, do whatever you can to stave off these claims of bias that will never go away. Um, I had uh, Matt Gertz with us from Media Matters, mediamatters.org. I had a, a conversation yesterday with uh, Niall Stanage, our good friend from The Hill, who is a White House columnist. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I I pointed out to him that uh, he and I used, usually, he's a White House columnist, which means he goes to The Hill for the briefings. Uh, his job is sort of non-existent today because... We now have uh, uh, developed into a pattern where there is one briefing mm-hmm. per month. We had one in October, one in November, one in December, none so far in January. Uh, they're also called at the very last minute, and they usually last 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, so, like, who cares? Or should we care? I mean, I'm sort of of two minds on this one. On the one hand, I think it's always important for uh, public officials to present themselves, to take questions from journalists, to be accountable to them, uh, to you know create a space for real answers about uh, the concerns of the public uh, and, and the news of the day. And I think it, it's quite shameful that that. On the other hand, it's not like there was a lot of information actually coming out of those anyway, because Sarah Sanders isn't actually going to 
give you any answers to those questions. So there's sort of a fundamental issue now, I think, around uh, the White House press briefings, just because there's no way to get information out of them. So what is it there for, right. I guess, is the and, problem. And I can tell you, because I've had conversations with her and with um, her deputy, um, Hogan Gidley, that um, they see that the briefing more and more unnecessary because Donald Trump is more available to a certain extent when he's walking out to Marine One. So that has really replaced the briefings. That That is a very interesting way to say uh, we can't really represent the president's opinion because he changes it on a dime. And so, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, if you can't speak for the president, then you can't really be press secretary. There's not a lot. of, And so why why bother to give the briefings? Because you can't really represent the administration's position. I mean, this is the sort of the problem writ large across this administration. And I think we're seeing it on, on Syria right now where there's sort of. You know, John Bolton coming out and saying, well, actually, we're not really removing the troops. And then the military saying, actually, we've begun removing the troops because the president gave us orders and we can't. Or the president says they're going to be out in 30 days. They're coming out. They're not coming out. And then, uh, well, I never said that. I actually said that. Yeah, right. It's a whole trying to keep up with whatever the White House position is. is, is and having tough. participated in several of those, uh, walking uh, here I am walking to Marine One um, encounters with the president. It's not like he's answering questions. He's really just pontificating. And no matter what question is asked, he will spin off where he wants to go. Yeah, it very uh, quickly turns into, and this is the thing that I saw on Fox and Friends right, this right, morning. Right, exactly. I was, this yes. is not transparency. Right. This is not what's really going on. This is not right. actual answers to questions. Uh, uh, as an example, uh, yesterday, he on the way to Marine One, uh, he was asked about what he the um, what is <laughs> more and more obviously not true, that Mexico is going to pay for this wall, and he once promised that Mexico would, No, he says, I never said that. When during the campaign, I would say Mexico's going to pay for it. Obviously, I never said this and I never meant they're going to write out a check. I said they're going to pay for it. Okay, so I have in my hot little hands here a memo from March 16, March 2016, March 31, 2016. In the middle of the campaign, uh, this is on Trump letterhead, Trump, make America great again. Uh, to Robert Costa and Bob Woodruff at the Washington Post, where he says in writing, here's for Mexico, make a one-time payment, this is what Mexico will do, make a one-time payment of 5 to $10 billion for his wall. By the way, and, by the way that's still on his website. Oh, it yeah. is? Yeah, that's okay. still on his website. It did go up on his website. Yeah, I, think, I think there's also because actually... If I just add, sure. the Washington Post this morning, which has done for the Glenn Kessler and their fact checker, identified 212 times where Donald Trump has said Mexico will send a check. Oh, my God. How can he go out there and say, I never said it? I mean... How dumb does he think we are? Right down the memory hole, I guess, right? I mean, this is sort of the, the... You know, recreation of the truth as whatever Donald Trump says at any particular moment uh, is a very dangerous uh, place to be, I think. I'd like to know how Mike Pence would try to spin that. 
he got because Pence got caught earlier this week, and and a couple of things where he could not he could not defend the fact that for every former president has support supports the wall, right? And all four of them have said, no, we don't. So Pence had to say, well, the president was under the impression that they I mean, supported it. <laughs> President's under impression of a lot of things. It's just shameful. I mean, all of these people are just, you know, they're along for the ride. They they want to get what they want to get out of this, and they don't really care what they, you know, have to put themselves through in order to do that. Right. Or Sarah Sanders and uh, Mike Pence both went out and said, 4,000 people, 4,000 terrorists have been apprehended at the border. So this was a very interesting thing that happened on Fox, where you had um, Sarah Sanders say that on... Uh, Fox and Friends. Chris Wallace. No, and, oh. uh, it was on Fox and Friends on the Friday. Oh, I and see. And then on the Sunday, she appears. She with... went on Chris Wallace's show and tried, and he basically said, uh, I, "I, you know, this is not true. Like, I, I have, I looked into this, and it, it turns out that the number that you're talking about is like for all people who were apprehended anywhere that were that that and, were, and most of them were apprehended, and they were at all at airports. Airports, right? Uh, By the and, way, and also, don't mean to. Let's get into details, but there is a difference between being on the terrorist watch list and being a terrorist. Yeah. So there are are all sorts of issues with the statistic. Wallace did a very good job of sort of uncovering that. Yeah. 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 So about on Chris Wallace, I just want to, we've got the audio of that, but I just want to say, you can get away with that on Fox and Friends. Yeah. You can't get away with it on Chris Wallace. Uh, here, Here he is. We know that roughly nearly 4,000 known or suspected terrorists come into our country illegally. And we know that our most vulnerable point of entry is at our southern border. I know the statistic. I didn't know if you were going to use it, but I studied up on this. Do you know where those 4,000 people come or where they're captured? Airports. Not always. But uh, airports. Certainly, certainly a the large State Department number. says there hasn't been any terrorists certainly that they found coming across the border. It's by air, from it's by land, and it's by sea. Land, air, and sea. Yeah, Get land, air, and sea. I just want to add to that, though. He did a very good job, and a lot of uh, media picked up on that. There were, you know, write-ups across the internet and all sorts of newspapers, and you know, CNN and MSNBC gave it a lot of coverage, pointing out what a great job he did. You know, who didn't point out what a great job he did? Fox. Fox News is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I you know I looked into this uh, all day uh, Sunday and then and most of the day <laughs> uh, most of uh, Monday morning, uh, and while CNN and MSNBC had both given the the interview coverage in half a dozen segments each, uh, Fox had mentioned it one time in that period at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, Fox likes to talk about how they have news people and opinion people, and yeah, it's just like a normal right. newspaper. But at the end of the day, the opinion people are the one that call the shots, uh, and Fox is going to back them up. Uh, and so when it comes to, you know, whether or not uh, the network is going to point out that uh, the White House lies all the time, uh, it'll happen on Chris Wallace's show sometimes, but it's not going to spread to the rest of Fox. And it'll happen also on Shep Smith. Shep Smith, yeah. There's a, there's he, a... he did a, a, a takedown of the... Uh of the Oval Office address as well, where he went through, it was about three minutes long, and he just went through fact check, you know. Yep. He said this, wrong, this, wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, and somehow he's still got a show on Fox. I don't know how, but. Uh, I mean, because of, for that very reason, though, right? Because he's someone that they can point to and say, look, oh, yeah. we're not all yeah. terrible. Yep. Look at this guy, Shep Smith, who does who does these things that you like. Uh, but he does these things that you like at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 
uh, when you know far fewer people are watching, and then you've got just nightly propaganda uh, every night and I, in the morning. I would and that, also that's say, when the viewers are there. I would also say it's it's great that Shep Smith does what he does, and he occasionally bucks the president. If Shep, Shep Smith could also just you know leave Fox News, right? And he could get yeah. a job anywhere else immediately. That'd be a real. I mean, that'd be a big stand for him to take. I'm not saying he should quit his job or anything, but like. He could just say, like, this network is just too bad. I'm not going to work here anymore. Right. Yeah. I've had it. I guess he sees also that maybe he's doing a public service by just being sure. one voice of sure. reason on Fox. I don't know. I-, I can see that as well. Well, we got media matters out there to watch out for us, and we appreciate the work that you do very, very much uh, and depend on it. Thanks so much, Matt. It's nice to see you. Great to be here. Follow Media Matters every day uh, at mediamatters.org. When we come back from Right Wing Watch, uh, Adele Stan joins us um, with uh, some of the other crazy stuff that's going on. Steve King, are you listening? We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Friday, Friday, January 11. uh, The Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone, a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families, uh, those clerks and managers and others at our retail, great retail grocery chains across the country. Um, we salute them and thank them for their support of the program and direct you to their website at UFCW. Dot org. Um, Congressman uh, Steve King getting from Iowa, finally getting into a little hot water yesterday. He's been there before uh, with his comments that um, he wondered openly and publicly uh, in an interview as to why, when white supremacism became offensive. <laughs> uh, well, that keeps people like Adele Stan busy at uh, Right Wing Watch research director who joins us in studio. Hi, Adele. Nice to see you. Good to be here. Well, we're finally catching up with Steve King. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, McCarthy, um, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the uh, 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 minority leader in the House. Um, yesterday- I like saying that about Kevin McCarthy, yeah, no, minority leader in the House. It's kind of a ring to it, doesn't it? It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he issued a statement saying there's no place for white supremacy and, and, and the rhetoric of, of white supremacy and, and white nationalism in, 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 in the House. In the House and in American society. No, but in the White House, it's okay. Yeah, right. For Kevin McCarthy. Well, and I'm like, when did he just realize that this is who Steve King is? I mean, Steve King endorsed, endorsed a neo-Nazi candidate for mayor of Toronto back in October. Uh, My colleague Jared Holt at Right Wing Watch has been on top of that and all of the Steve King, the many white nationalists and white supremacist things he has said over the years. And in fact, I was barred from a Steve King speech, uh, from attending a Steve King speech in St. Louis, I believe that may have been around October, uh, at the... um, uh, at a conference um, co-sponsored by Phyllis Schlafly's Eagle Council oh, and Gateway Pundit. So it's this sort of merger of the alt, alt or altish right and this mm-hmm. very, very old uh, group now led by Phyllis Schlafly's sons. Right. 
uh, th- they wouldn't let they wouldn't let me in. No, I I could cover the rest of the conference, but uh, apparently I was told um, that uh, Steve King's people did not uh, were not admitting press. But apparently that was not true because uh, uh, a reporter for another outlet was permitted in. Yeah. Well, um, Steve King also said in the same interview that the Democratic Party is not for white men. <laughs> yes, that's not quite astonishing, right? Because apparently what white men really need is white supremacy, <laughs> right. white patriarchy, right? As if white men are somehow penalized by living in a society that is, you know, racially, ethnically diverse where women have some power. I mean, come on. Right. So, tell us about Right Wing Watch. Well, Right Wing Watch is a project of People for the American Way, uh, 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 um, and a progressive organization. organization that was founded by Norman, Norman Lear, Lear. Uh, several decades ago. And what we do is we track what people on the far right are saying, whether they be religious right and kind of now who are now really establishment Republicans, right? Establishment Republican players such as Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council or Ralph Reed of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. So we track what those people say, but we also track what people you may never have heard of are saying. Um, You know, far-right conspiracy theorist types, far-right preachers who are also (laughs) conspiracy theorists who really have significant followings on YouTube. And so it is important to track them, however far out they may seem. They are influencing minds, so we, we track those folks, too, and the alt-right. Right. Jared Halt does an amazing we job. We have uh, one uh, extreme right-wing talk show, radio talk show host, um, Peter, who often makes appearances uh, on our show. He just kind of calls up uh, all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Alex Jones. Uh, when you talk about the right-wingers, <laughs> you're talking about the Illuminati, of course. You're talking about uh, all of the... Uh, all of the crazy things going down there at the border. I mean, look, I've seen the documents, Bill. You've seen the documents. The American people have seen the documents. It's time that it, the truth finally got out. Oh, there. shut up, Alex. <laughs> he's one of the people you track, I would imagine. Indeed. And actually, talk about conspiracy theories. It's amazing. But, I mean, he really does. You know, rally a certain part of the Trump base, and um, starting with Trump, starting with Trump, who said he, you know, that Jones has an amazing reputation. However, you want to apply the word amazing, but Jones was also very much a part of sort of the off-the-shelf Trump campaign during the presidential campaign. I'm in uh, Cleveland at the Republican National Convention, uh, not far from there. There was a huge outdoor event uh, rally, many hours long, held by. Uh, Alex Jones and Roger Stone and Milo Yiannopoulos and that whole crew, you know. Wow. Yeah. So, in effect, you know, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which uh, for decades has been tracking violent. Indeed, yes. Right? And racist organizations. So, you're sort of a parallel to that tracking uh, extremism, if you will, in, in the media. We we do. And really what we're looking at, Bill, is the real intersection of the far right and politics. So that doesn't, we don't exclude ourselves from the more violent spaces. Yeah, right. um, you know, one of my colleagues has gone to, you know, very raucous um, rallies and, and uh, even altercations where Proud Boys and, and that type of, you know, mm-hmm. thuggishness uh, on the right has taken place. But um, we are, but, but 
the, the operative term is that th- those groups, the groups that we cover, do intersect with right-wing and Republican politics, whereas the Southern Poverty Law Center, I mean, they do undercover work, they go, you know, yeah, and right. they're really tracking sort of at a very um, granular and, and, and uh, uh, bird's-eye level um, what's going on with various groups. Well, the right-wing... Um, organiza- media organizations, in effect, they have really, this is their day, isn't it? I mean, they, they've been saying these crazy things for a long time. Indeed. But now they've got somebody in the White House yes. who is aggro. The spirits have been unleashed. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's so interesting because they love to, uh, in the um, far right, what we call dominionist um, religious circles, uh, you hear a lot of talk about demons. And Alex Jones picks this up, too. You know, he has said Obama is a demon, um, and he means it in the literal spiritual sense you know he said this about hillary clinton um but you but so so you know they love this language of demons and of course you know that's very biblical jesus uh, right uh, purged um uh people needing healing of their demons and whatnot we're talking um, about demons we're talking about goblins we're talking about ne'er-do-wells <laughs> hates hey, boogers things yeah. like that you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about bill <laughs> <laughs> But they've got in Trump somebody that, you know, they even, their language is his language. Their language is his language. He picks up language from them. It cross-pollinates. We saw this even throughout the presidential campaign where you'd see him retweeting you know, white nationalist uh, Twitter accounts, you know, posts from white nationalist Twitter accounts and all of that kind of thing. And yes, the language does. I mean, when Trump stood up and said, I am a nationalist. That was a clear signal to these very far-right white nationalists, the kind of people who showed up in Charlottesville in 2017, you know? Right. Uh, They knew what he was saying. They knew what what he was saying, and you saw it all over their social media, you know, that he was, they, they were acknowledging that he was winking to them. Right. That's why, again, back where we started, when Kevin McCarthy condemns uh, Steve King for that language, he has not condemned Donald Trump for the very same language. Indeed, uh, how could he? Appe- I mean, no, appealing to the very to the very very same people. How could he? he won't be invited to fly on Air Force One anymore. <laughs> uh, God, God forbid. Who are the in the terms of the media? Who are the leading? Voices for the for the alt right or the right is it still Breitbart or well I think is what it you, the Daily Caller I mean it's it, there isn't other than Fox News which you know is an institutional player as well as I would say in many ways become the voice of the of white nationalists regarded as establishment Republicans in in the in the embodied in our old pal Tucker Carlson who we both remember when he was. Not saying white nationalist things. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's he goes to head to head with um, in terms of ratings with Rachel Maddow on um, uh, on MSNBC. Uh, so he is a really big amplifier of white nationalist, white supremacist themes. Uh, he's done this uh, with regard to calling immigrants dirty. He's done this also just kind of, you have to remember white supremacy involves also white patriarchy. And his attacks on women God forbid women should make the same amount as men. That's going to disorder society. That happened in just over the last week. He said something like that. And then uh, yesterday, I forget what he... Do you remember what he said? No. <laughs> but anyway, no. No. but he's a big voice. But I don't, I, I don't see him as extreme as 
Alex Jones. Alex Jones or Breitbart. I mean, is Breitbart still a force? Breitbart is always going to be a force, at least for the in the short run, because they just have a large platform, right? They have a very big fl- platform, and people are in the habit of checking. You know, they have Breitbart set as their homepage. They're in the habit, the way people used to be with Drudge, right? Right. Yeah. So I was just thinking about Breitbart has displaced Drudge, I in guess, a sense. right? As the yeah. Yeah. And it's some of it's generational, right? I'm sure that, you know, people of my generation who came who are part mm-hmm. of the right are probably still <laughs> looking at Drudge, but you know. So uh so yes, you have Alex Jones. It's, so you have really kind of a competition right now because the alt right kind of disaggregated after Charlottesville and there have been lawsuits against people who uh, took part in that and all of that. So there's been a sort of disaggregation and competition. It hasn't all shaken out. The Daily Caller uh, since certainly is ascendant. Right. Um, now, you you get into, you mentioned the religious right. This mm-hmm. is a favorite topic of mine. <laughs> and the question keeps coming up. How can these people who brand themselves as Christians be so supportive of a man like Donald Trump, whose certainly personal lifestyle contradicts everything that they preach from the pulpit? Ah, indeed, but the rationalizations run deep and they are biblical. So um, I don't know if you, I, I would advise listeners to take a look at a, at a, opinion piece that um, Catherine Stewart ran in the New York Times last week. And it and it's it's the argument that a lot of religious right people make is that Trump is King Cyrus, who was not a believer. He was a bad guy. He had, you know, lots of uh, he didn't he created he, he had lots of vices, but he freed the Jews from captivity. And so that is how they characterize Trump. They don't worry about his own morality. He's going to appoint the judges that they want to the Supreme Court, and that's pretty much all that matters. Uh, judges, pardon me, judges who will hopefully overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, overturn Roe v. Wade, that's a big one. Or cancel out... Uh, uphold Trump's executive orders, uphold uh, the Trump agenda. Right, and yeah. reverse um, the Supreme Court decision on... Uh, same-sex marriage. Same-sex marriage is a big one, and all of these quote-unquote civil rights cases where, you know, the right is alleging uh, uh, their their religious freedom is uh, imperiled. Uh, Right. And and this is, by the way, this is Jerry Falwell Jr., right? This is Franklin Graham. These are not... These are not the the fringy McFringers. No. No. Uh, yeah. Of the religious right. right. I mean, they're the leaders today of the religious right. And there's this the, uh, enormous group, you, you Alliance Gary defending. Bauer, if he's oh, still around. Oh, yes, Tony no, Gary, per- Gary Tony, Tony Perkins, Perkins yeah. right. All those guys. Ralph Reed. Ralph Reed. And Ralph Reed is, you know, a double threat in that he's also a political operative uh, in terms of, you know, micro-targeting and data, voter data stuff. Um, uh, are there any people among the religious right who say, no, we have to stand for something? Uh, if there are, their voices are drowned well, out. Well, they I believe never hear that they're standing for. No, I mean who contradict? <laughs> you know, who don't go along who, with this? Who, who contradict? Very few. I mean, I I can't think of anyone who comes to mind making the um, a, re, a, a a conservative religious case against Trump who is of any consequence. You know. No, I mean there are voices like Jim Wallace, of course. Um, like um. Gene Robinson mm-hmm. uh, and others, but right. they're hardly 
religious but right. They're, they're not religious right, exactly. So, I mean, no, I think that the, the rationale has been made with this King Cyrus argument. Everybody has embraced it, and that's what they're running with. They want to get what they want. And you have to remember, when you get to the level like a, a, of a Ralph Reed or a Tony Perkins, they're also carrying out the economic agenda of secular uh, private capital forces, right? There's been a theologizing of right-wing economics in the religious right. I don't, I don't understand what you mean by that. Well, if you look at the economic agenda... You mean they're making support, money at their jobs? Well, I'm, I'm sure they're doing that. Yes, no, but what I mean is that they support the same economic agenda that, say, the Koch brothers uh, support, uh, that the DeVos family would mm. support, that um, all of these, that the, that the Menard family would support, Mercer family would support, all of these um, big, uh, very wealthy uh, dynasties the, whose, whose companies are privately held. Um, are there equal forces on the left? No, it's um, <laughs> it's definitely. I, I kind of feel that we're outgunned here. Well, it depends on how you want to play, right? I mean, this is where you start talking about the strategy of asymmetry and and where are the weaknesses in a big leviathan of a of a movement, and that's I think where the left will have to go is find those weaknesses, um, uh, and and be strategic in its targeting. I mean, if you have to look um, on 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 the left, okay, okay, there's a Bill Press show you can count on us, right? But. Um, MSNBC, yes, primetime, but not... But it's at the whim of, of, of a big corporate entity that could decide that um, the market is really going towards the right and we want to be right-wing. I right. mean, you know, it's, right. it's not uh, that the corporation so, itself is So where would you turn? Progressive. Maybe to MSNBC. MSNBC may be more than any other cable yes, channel. of course. But still, that they're not really totally owned by the left. Or no, 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 not at all. Or sort of reflected the left at all. Uh, there used to be a thing called Air America. They're gone. Right. Uh, there used to be a thing called Current TV. Remember that, Peter? Oh, gosh, yeah, barely. Yeah, I remember Current. <laughs> I appeared yeah. on Current TV. <laughs> we were a show on Current yes. TV for three hours every day uh, until it pulled the rug out from under us, uh, out from under everybody, not just us, uh, our show. Um, I'm just trying to think of uh, Huffington Post. Right. Which tilts left. It certainly does. It's well, look, not as far left as Breitbart is right. It's not, the, it's not even the nation. But you, know, you, the, you, no. you, you look at this boogeyman that's been created, George Soros, and George Soros is spreading all of this money across all mm -hmm. these different things to push the liberal agenda. Right. As we've said, you've said many times, I wish George Soros did Indeed, that. Indeed, yeah. we all do. Like, I wish hey, George, George Soros. BillPressShow.com. <laughs> Find us, baby. <laughs> yeah. Like, spread some of that money out. Get some progressive media actually up and running and get it going and make it as powerful right. as, as all these other right-wing arms. Well, this is the thing. I mean, you know, we have, you know, not to get too wonky, about it, but the, but the funding structures of left and right are completely different. For one thing, the right has a lot of money, and the money is being spent to advance the interests of the very people who are the donors. On the left, you're relying on very rich people to advance causes that are not necessarily to their personal benefit, A, and B, there just isn't the kind of consolidated spending, especially on progressive media, that the right puts into their media. This, uh, <laughs> boy, I have spent so much time. I have broken my pick on this issue. 
But it goes back to, and I wrote a book called Toxic Talk a few years back, where I lay all of this out. It goes back to the Nixon years, and he turned to an attorney by the name of Lewis Powell. Ah, the Powell memo. The Powell memo. And ask Lewis Powell, basically, how can we, the right, take over the media, Mm -hmm. public opinion? And Lewis Powell wrote out this memo. Then he was later appointed to the Supreme Court, of course. Right. And that memo basically said... You've got to go. We have to t- take the get these start some think tanks in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Two two tracks, get the think tanks going in Washington D.C. to pump out these conservative policies, and buy radio stations, and television stations, sure. and recruit people to be on there, train them and everything to broadcast the message. Mm-hmm. And they have followed that to the to, letter, to which the is letter. why they dominate today. Indeed. And on the other side. I've again. I've talked to so. I tried so hard to get to, to convince wealthy Democrats, Democratic donors, that they've got to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And instead, they just have never seen the importance of progressive media, and they would rather give their money to candidates. I, I got that all the time from people who have tons of money. No, I'd rather you know give to so and so, running for governor, running for senator, running for president. And my response, yeah, and how are those people going to get their message out? Right, right. The institution building um, piece of it, I do believe, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> the right has done a, a very good job at right. building institutions. Now you mentioned the nation. Yeah, mm-hmm. love the nation. I've subscribed to the nation my entire life almost, yeah. right? But what is their circulation? I don't even know. They're, they're great. The people are great. Right. And, you know, John Nichols, mm-hmm. Katrina Vanden Heuvel, all of them. Right. Uh, then we have Mother Jones, too, I guess. Yes, right? and Mother Jones is very successful and, and a terrific a great job. publication. Yeah. Right. But, uh, I mean, you need, but these publications are always not, you know, I don't know but the, the, the financials of. They're all struggling, they, too, they, I they, know, they, financially. They, they are not sitting fat, you know. No, no. And so they don't have the resources that you've got. And so, and then you have resources, then, then you wind up devoting a greater percentage of your resources just to maintaining you know, your funding. Um, so it's, it is sort of a conundrum that but, we have. You know, the problem with all those things that we just mentioned, Mother Jones, Huffington Post, MSNBC, all these other things, is they are fact-based organizations. Right. Like, they actually do the reporting. They mm-hmm. actually tell what's really going on. Which is actually not cheap to do. At, at, sure. It's, it's not cheap it's to, not do, to do, and it's also, if you will, it drags them down yeah. in the sense of they can't be real propagandists mm-hmm. because... They have a conscience. I hate right. to put it that way, <laughs> right? but like it's yeah. it's bad for business. <laughs> uh, and they they have a compulsion, right. thank God, right. to tell the truth, right. Right? right? So they're not just going to cover everything up and say everything rosy like under Obama years when it's not, right? right? Um, I mean, I, I got to say, uh, so. uh, late night television does tend to um, skew to the left um, when you look at the monologues. That, yeah, right. Uh, late, that that's late a good night. point. That's a good point. Um, and, you know, but well, that's but, not controlled messaging. <laughs> it's not a controlled completely messaging. different thing. No, they have. And I think the, the, the reason there is because Trump is such a big fat target. Right. Yeah. And, and it's just hard to resist. Right. Right, indeed. And if also, you want you a have comic to s- character today, I mean, he is right, indeed. the number There's one clown. There's no, no, in fact, com- comedians complain that it's getting harder and harder to make people laugh at the absurd because the absurd is around you every day, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the absurd is in the, right. uh, is in the Oval Office. Right, right. 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 But, I'm, but, you know, so, back to your point about 
progressive media, it also seeds other media. I mean, if you look at why uh, these uh, talk show hosts are skewing left, I mean, you can also look at the at, at how the Daily Show has seeded, you know, the people who rise up to 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 be the voices of these various um, talk shows too, the the entertainment talk, late night talk shows. Right. Uh, so, uh, in entering into this new year, are you hopeful? Hmm. Well, I'm certainly hopeful about the progressive movement. I'm hopeful when I look at that Congress and I see it full of women. I mean, you know, I started out at Ms. Magazine, Bill, in oh, 19, yeah, really? 1983. Yeah. That was where I began my journalism career. Mm. And seeing that uh, swearing-in ceremony was just delicious. Uh, so, you know, we have to, we have to seize the hope that we see bubbling up. We have to, we have to seize that and, and run with it and fill ourselves with it because that is how we will prevail. No, when I, it's the same thing when I look at that new Congress, you know, the Congress will never be the same. Oh my goodness. No, and it's just, it's very, very exciting. And it's I making mean. the right crazy. Yeah, yes. no, I know. Making, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, you know, yeah. Alexandra Cortez. Uh, Dancing. Uh, uh, yeah. As I told her last AOC. night, shocking. <laughs> shocking, 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 shocking. Right, right, right. Uh, it's so good to visit with you. Thanks so much. Great to be with you, Thanks for the great Thanks work so that much. you're doing at Right Wing Watch. It's rightwingwatch.org. Check it out. Make the most of your weekend, folks. We'll be back here on Monday, this and we'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show.